Well, let's face it, this is the hour of test. We've just had a big, huge, delicious meal. I saw one of you just kind of tilt the table and just put your mouth at the end of it. I'm not <laughs> mentioning anybody. But, uh, and then you come in on these nice new cushion padded seats, and the temptation is to want to take a little bit of a nap or a snooze. So here's what I'm going to tell you. If I start to snore, please, somebody come up and wake me up, okay? That's only fair. Yeah, there you go. All right, the message today we have peace. You can see on the inside of the bullets in there, on the right-hand side, I asked Brother Drew to put down the word peace there. And uh, so that's just a thing as we go along. Uh, I like to attach some words to every letter in there. But uh, just start real quickly by way of introduction. Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. After the meal there, Brother Bill back there was talking about praying, and he was looking to me, and he earnestly said, short and sweet. (laughs) Nice try, buddy. (laughs) Okay. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul wrote this, Therefore, being justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't spend a lot of time there. It's just one verse. But that is an amazing verse. I hope for everybody in this church building right now that this verse personally applies to you. Because if you're here and you've never been justified by faith, by repenting of your sin and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone, one thing you do not have today, you don't have peace with God. And that's a horrible place to be. So if you get anything out of this today, always remember this. I thank you, God, through all eternity that you established it so I could be at peace with you. Now you notice the first word there is therefore, and you've probably heard many times that when the word therefore is there, that's a reference to everything that came before there. So what we're going to start out by doing a verse-by-verse of the first four chapters. No. (laughs) But I do want you to go back to the first chapter. And I just want to read one verse. Because I hope all of you have read all of Romans. But it is the greatest book on salvation, great book on grace, just a wonderful book. But in that one little verse there, in the first chapter, verse 16, saying a few more words of introduction and then we'll get into the The P-E-A-C-E. He wrote these words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There's There's the condition. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that's something that ought to be true. You and I should never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not ashamed to die, I'll say it, in the nude, on a horrible cross, being mocked and scorned and rejected. But he was not ashamed to do that for us. And it is the euangelion, the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, the good news. And it's the power of God for unto salvation to everyone that believeth. I just put this down here real quickly. The whole trinity is in this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father speaks... He had the blueprint. He had the plan of putting up this building 
called the church, the lively stones we are referred to. Gather had the plan and the purpose. It was to be according to his holy will. But it wouldn't be accomplished unless the Son came into the world as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So the Son is the one with his blood who made the purchase. And he's the only one who could do it because it had to be a holy work. A holy work based on his holy will of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit, we read, the dunamis power, the plan, the purchase, and then the power to construct and put those lively stones together and build this thing we call the church. And I say there, the, the holy wind, and real quickly you say, well, you, you, you've got a W word in there, the will, the work, and the wind, but that's accurate. You may recall, I'll say real quickly, you remember when uh, Jesus in John chapter 3 was talking to Nicodemus, and he basically said, you know, Nicodemus, we don't know where the wind starts, we don't know where it goes, how it goes around. But he said, God knows, and the Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Ghost there, if you look in the original language, the word there is hagias numa, the holy wind, the holy air. That is the idea of the Holy Spirit, the holy wind. And it's about how he saves. We see that in John chapter 3, in the birth of the church on Pentecost Sunday. What do we read in the very beginning? A rushing mighty what came down? Wind. And it talked about this was the coming with the flaming tongues, as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Hagias Numa, the Holy Wind. And then lastly, as pastor has been showing us about the Bible in the Sunday school hour, in that second uh, Peter chapter 1, down there in verse 21, it makes a reference to, I liked, I'd not heard that before, about the branch and the stream being led along. It's the same thing at the end, it says about the Holy Ghost, once more, if you look at those words, it's uh, Numatas, uh, Hagiu, the holy wind, and it's the idea of in those days, in the ancient days, they had their vessels, they had their ships, but they would put up the sail, and the wind would come along, and as you see in that verse, would move the ship along. So there you go, when you talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the Galion, the God's plan, Father's purpose, his holy will, the Son's purchase, his holy work, and on the day in you, you and I were born again, it took that holy power, that holy wind, that holy spirit to regenerate us so we could be able to say that we have the peace of God. John 14 and 27, and again, this is something in John 14, and pastor's been doing a wonderful job of going us through the gospel of John. Praise, that, praise the Lord for his uh, working and preaching to us the truth of the word of God. And remember though, uh, in that upper room, John 14, 27. And remember, if God would have only wanted it for those men in that room that night, he would not have needed to have it inscripturated. They could have just heard it by themselves right then and there. But he had it inscripturated so it could be applied to people at Berean Baptist Church in a day in January of 2023. And just read it, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace, says Jesus, I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And so he says to those who are his children, those who are born from above by the Holy Spirit, that holy wind, he said there is a gift, there's something I want to give to you. Not the kind of peace that the world gives. 
Not where you sign a peace treaty and 20 years later you're at another war. Not, not that stuff. But he says, I'm giving to you a genuine inner spiritual peace that you know that you are at peace with me, the living God. If you're here today, that's an amazing thing. Before I became a believer, I was tortured by the thought that I would go to hell. Some of you folks know this because I was in a church that taught a works righteousness. And I was always tortured because I never knew, have I done enough? Am I going to stand on that day I die? I'm going to go before God. And he's going, you came this close. <laughs> no, I don't have to worry about it. I have that peace with God. Let's go now to the qualities of the peace for us. Let's you turn to John 5 and 24. Now, if you want to jot these down on the, the bulletin, you don't have to do it. That, that's up to you, but it's there provided if you'd want to. The first P there is the two words that the qualities of this peace, this is a peace that is a permanent position for us. Permanent possession, if you will. John 5 and 24, I'll give you a moment there to turn to that. This peace will never be taken away from us. God is faithful. He's not fickle with his own. Here's what the Lord Jesus said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And the verbiage there means that it doesn't matter where you, when you read it, it'll never stop. It's an ongoing, continuing, never-to-cease truth. And then also from John, let's go back to the epistle, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Some of you know, too, the way I was raised. I'll say it for those of you who have maybe not heard it, but uh, my favorite fairy tale was Aladdin and the Lamp, because I always said if I could, uh, I wouldn't need a genie with the three wishes. If I could just get one wish, that would be it. And that wish would be that no matter how horrible my life would be on earth, if God would say, when you die, Earl, you'll get to go to heaven. But to me, it was always just a, a dream, just an idea. I never, ever, in that church, never, ever learned, was never taught, not even once, that it wasn't a dream. It was actually a promise of God. You're with me now, First John chapter 5, verse 11. John writes, and this is the record, this is the testimony, this is the covenant that God has made with this people, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The way he says that. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And then these wonderful words. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know, gnosko, you may know for certain that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. If you're here today and you say, I know that I have Jesus, better yet, I know that Jesus has me, and I know I have eternal life. How blessed we are to have that in our head and in our heart that we know that. Praise God. Well, that's the permanent position, letter P. Let's move on to the letter E. Would you turn, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> 
1 Peter chapter 1. P was a permanent position, a permanent possession. This is similar to that. E I'm having here as being it's everlastingly established. Everlastingly established. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Again, this morning, pastor was preaching in this area. It's such, it's such a rich mind. Peter writes, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm going to go down a real quick rabbit trail. I read these verses, you read these verses. I will never understand how a person who's born again, has the Holy Spirit, can ever be part of a fellowship or a view that says somehow you can lose your salvation. If you could lose your salvation, these verses are nonsense. They should be taken out. Just a couple of things here, this idea of it being established everlastingly. There in that third verse, I like, hath begotten us again. Another way of saying that, what Peter is saying, is that you and I in here, we are, have all received life twice. We're twice begotten. We're twice born. The first time physically, the natural physical birth that made you human upon the earth, but not saved. But then we've had the blessing by mercy and grace, God's favor, of being born from above, born a second time, the spiritual rebirth. And so Peter is reminded here, you know, because there were a lot of, there were a lot of people, I think, like Nicodemus, who thought that because he was a Jew and that he was a man and he was a Pharisee and a scholar, he thought that just by being a Jew, that would qualify him for heaven. And Jesus had to break that little balloon, break that little bubble for Nicodemus and says, listen, the Jews are my covenant people on earth. That's true. But that does not prepare you to stand before me on judgment day. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, you still have to repent of your sin and ask my son, the Messiah, to be your savior. So he says there, hath begotten us again. And let's understand something else too. We we went through a Sunday school series some time ago with the titles of God is. And one of them we said is God is life. Not just that God knows life or God has life, but God is life. We need to be sustained by God to be alive. If God would take his mind off any one of us, we'd poof, we'd cease to exist. Because all life, everything living, finds its source in the living God. And so he is the one, he's begotten us physically, we're alive right here, but ever so more important, he has begotten us again under this lively hope, this spiritual rebirth, born, twice born. If you're twice born here today, wonderful, wonderful, twice born. Now, to this inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, I just want to say this, how many of you know and think, admit to this, even though you're saved, you still sin? Yeah, there you go. Oh, I know about you. Yeah. <laughs> we hold these truths to be self-evident, you know. That's terrible, but that's me. <laughs> All right. But seriously now, it says here 
uh, incorruptible and undefiled. Hey, every sin corrupts. Every sin defiles. So Peter, what are you talking about? You're a believer, Peter, but if I remember you did something on the, <laughs> the, the morning of the crucifixion that wasn't exactly exemplary. Didn't that corrupt you? Didn't that defile you? No, it, it, it ruined that fellowship, but not the position, not the relationship. That cannot be touched. I'll remind you again, uh, Pastor, last week was in Romans chapter 4, talking about, I love that chapter, chapter 4 of Romans verse 8, where it says, uh, blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. The Lord will not impute sin. I'm thinking like, how's that possible? He's a holy, 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 holy God. And I sin, but he's not going to impute it to me? What, are you looking the other way? If you don't impute that sin to me, then you're not holy anymore. And if you're not holy anymore, you can't be God anymore. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that we're going to get into this in the next one. That the righteousness in that passage in Romans 4 is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has put us in his son. And that's how it's not going to be tarnished. Why it's not going to be corrupted. Why when God sees us, he sees it at undefiled, that it's never going to fade away. It's going to be reserved in heaven for us. Why? Because he always sees us in his son. If I ever show up or you ever show up on judgment day all by your lonesome, you are in heap big trouble. God will not be impressed by us. He only sees us, I don't want to get ahead of it, but he only sees us the way that's going to be merciful to us is through his son. So again, when you read this here and you're talking about peace with God, he wants to say, I want to let you know my son, I want to let you know my daughter, through my servant Peter. I've given this to you. It's been begotten unto you. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your Savior. Not in the life, not in the power. We need to repent and we need to receive him. But our physical life or our spiritual life is in no way provided by us. And so it is, I'll say it one more time. It's an inheritance. It's set aside for you. Therefore, it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's never, ever going to fade away. And it is reserved in heaven for you. There's a place at the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb with your name on it. That's wonderful. Who are kept, Pastor talked about this, who are kept by the, the power of God through faith at the agency unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I'll close with that. What's that all about? It means at the final designated time of the full revelation. I think the closest we read about that is in Revelation chapter 21, where we see these words, and John says, And I looked, and I saw a new heaven, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem coming down. And he goes down about four verses, and he says, I make all things new. And that's when we, and all creation, which groaneth until everything is made right again, we're going to have a blossoming, and just an awe, and a reverence, can't even put it into human words, of what it means when God saves and God regenerates and God gives peace. Because when we're there, we're not looking from the outside. We're, we're part of it. We're in it. We're his children. By then, at that time, we'll have a glorified body. Praise God. So let's move on. Permanent position. 
everlastingly established and what I kind of touched on already. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. The third letter in the word peace is the letter A, or third letter, yeah, the third letter, is that we are accepted through the atonement. Kind of said that already. That's the only way we're going to be accepted. You're turning with me, if you will, please, as I said, to Ephesians 1, 6. Another one of those wonderful verses. I was raised in a church that you never, ever read the Bible. Of course, we weren't born again, so you're spiritually dead anyway. But there's no way we were going to understand it. We were never encouraged to read it. You're there with me now. Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. And that's the end of the verse, right? Yep. Well, tell me out loud, what's, what's, what's the other words there? Let me read it one more time and you finish it. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In the beloved. That's the way it has to be. You notice over there in, that same, in, the, in the very opening verse, chapter 1, verse 1. Notice when he begins. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the holy ones, to the hagias, to the saints, which are at Ephesus. Geographically, they're at Ephesus. And to the faithful, and then again, those last three words. Where are they at? Are they in a building? Are they in Ephesus? Where they're at? I'll tell you where they're at. They're in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter where else you're at. You can be in the darkest, deepest dungeon or the worst place on planet Earth. You can be tempted and you can be martyred, everything else. It does not matter. In the end, it'll be worth it all because we were in Christ Jesus. That's what'll be worth it. So, the atonement, because we said before, nowhere in the Bible are we going to read that Earl Burkott died last week at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It says in the Bible that as appointed for man once to die and after this comes the judgment. And he stood before God and God looked at Earl and said, I need to put on sunglasses. You are so holy I can barely look at you. How many of you think that's going to happen? I don't see one hand. But I'm gonna get, it's not going to happen to you either. God is not impressed with me. And all God's people said? It's the truth though. But God is really impressed with Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And through the miracle of the Holy Spirit drawing us to the place where we can see our sin and we cry out and we admit we're sinners and we ask Jesus Christ to come into our very lives. I seek your mercy. I want you to be my Savior. We are born from above and in that miraculous work we are placed in Christ. And so in that we are accepted but only through the atonement. Only through that exchange that he went to the cross and all our sin was put on him. And all his righteousness was placed in us and we were placed in him. So when we look at those verses, one more, let's go to the book of Philippians. Pastor again. You got real close. I thought, oh, don't, don't take my stuff. <laughs> but you didn't. You didn't. God had it all planned out. Pastor said this morning, you're in Philippians chapter 3. Paul was reflecting on his former life, and he was pretty proud of himself. 
First of all, he wasn't a dog Gentile. He was a Jew. And not just any Jew. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He sat at the feet of the great Jewish scholar and sage Gamaliel. And he was zealous for the law as no other Jew was. He had reason to shine his buttons every day. But then he got knocked off his horse and met the Lord Jesus Christ. Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus, who thou persecuting? Why are you persecuting me? And through all of that, he was gloriously saved. And then, looking at that, uh, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Some translations want to kind of sanitize that, but I like that word, dung, waste. Body says, get rid of this. I got no use for this. The rest is protein and straw, but this is dung. Get gone. And Paul says, that's exactly what I had spiritually until I met Jesus Christ. And what I like about this hymn, notice those first words in verse 9, because he knows it, and be found in him. Paul says, thank God I'm in him. And I think, just throwing this in, I think in Romans chapter 7, where Paul gets so upset with himself, he says, I've been saved. I'm in Jesus Christ. I know what I should do. I know what I shouldn't do. And I keep getting these cross. Things I should do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. Miserable man that I am. Who, who will save me from this thing, this lifestyle, this being this way? And he says, praise God. Because... I'm in Jesus Christ, and I will never be judged. I'll never be found. I'm, I'm free. I'm saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow after the Spirit. But I hope that that bugs you too. Uh, one of the, I keep throwing stuff in here, but one of the greatest joys, you say, what's the greatest thing when you go to heaven? Of course, to see Jesus. But I said this, and I mean it. Watch it. When I get to heaven, when you get to heaven, you know what you're not going to be able to do anymore? You're never going to be able to disappoint your Savior again. You'll never sin again. You never will. You'll never have to go and say, I did it again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Well, need to move on. He does not see just me, but he sees me justified in him. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. I don't hear myself snoring. I'm not asleep. I, I think I'm still awake. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm dreaming I'm preaching. I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever heard this, this word, this phrase? Somebody will really not be happy with a situation. There'll be different view, different ideas. Get really almost to the point they'll be disgusted. And they'll say this. They'll say, <laughs> I got to tell you something. Yeah, you know, just, just, just leave me alone with that. I, I couldn't care less. Anybody ever say that? I couldn't care less. Yeah. I think we all do it sometime. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Peter knew about this experientially. 1 Peter, 1 Peter, that's not good. 1 Peter chapter 5. It's okay. I'm just a man. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's one of those verses we shouldn't go by too quickly. 
Earl, stop your fretting. You don't have your eyes on me. If you get your eyes on me, you could be like Peter. You could step out of the boat and bulk, but you got your focus on the ring. You're, you're looking at the circumstances. You're looking at the problems. You got your eyes off me. No, you need to cast all of your care, your eyes, your focus, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Let's go back real quickly, then we'll move to the next one. We want to go back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, let's see Bible knowledge. What is John chapter 10 known for? It's the, the chapter on the, the good, the good shepherd. <clears throat> we read down there quite a ways, verses 1 through 18. And Jesus, in all these verses, is talking about himself as the second person of the Trinity. He's referring to himself. He's talking about he, Jesus, that he is the good shepherd. But you understand, in the Trinity, it is the Son who served the Father, and the Holy Spirit serves the Son and the Father. So there is a little bit of an interlude in verses 19 through 24. But Jesus comes back to that theme in verse 25, and I want to read that section because I want to really read in verse 29. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But look at verse 29. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand hand. It was the Father's plan, the Father's purpose, the Father's will for all of this to happen. The Evangelion, the gospel of good news, the coming of the Son into the world. All of this comes through the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And to those who say, I couldn't care less, let me remind all of us believers today, as the Holy Father, our Heavenly Father, looks at us. He couldn't care more. He loves us with all of his being. Even when we disappoint him, he holds on to us. And even when the devil would say, hey, you know, I sinned, and look what happened to me. I'm going to end up in the lake of the fire. By what right, by what justification can this person... No, no, no. Be quiet. Get out of here. It is my will, my desire, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I'm calling out a people to belong to me. And nobody, no power, never, is going to be able to pluck them out of my hand. I am the Almighty God, and I hold them, and I keep them. I've separated them unto myself. They are my children, and I want them to be at peace with that. Let us always remember that. And finally... We've gone with the permanent position, everlastingly established. We're accepted only through the atonement. God's committed care, if I didn't say that, I'll say it now. God's committed care. 
The Father has committed himself. I, I keep saying this James Webb telescope and all these, you know, all these galaxies that are way out there. I've come to the conclusion that the universe is big. And in all of that, God holds on to you. Wow. Finally, everything we've looked at so far is the qualities of his peace that we come from him. The last one is what I know, we all know, is when are we going to have a peace like no peace that's ever been known, ever. We have to cross over to the other side. It's not just to have these things from him. The real peace, the real joy, the real satisfaction is when we are with him. I want to look at two verses, if you turn with me to John 14, and then I'll close by reading one stanza of a, a hymn. I could sing it to you, but it's no time for a fire drill. Uh. John 14, again, it's in the upper room the night before he died. He knew that his followers were all despondent because he was going to be leaving. And so in that first verse of John 14, he said, you've heard it many times, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. That is amazing. God, in the emotional sense, I've got to be careful here, but I'm just trying to say, it's not just a fact thing. Okay, I, I prepared a place for you. Okay, you'll be here, you'll be there. You'll be. It's, not, it's not that. He says, I've prepared, a, I've prepared a place for you. It's not just that you'll have a place somewhere. It's that I want you to be with me. That's what I desire. That's what will give me glory and joy. That's what will give me praise and honor. Because we'll be together the way it was always intended to be. And then finally, the last uh, passage in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I know this is a passage. I don't want to do violence to the text because I know it's about the the rapture, I understand that. But there's a principle of a truth there I want you to see, and then I'll do this last thing. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I'll tell you this last letter E. There's three E's. It's this. When we get to be with him, It'll be our opportunity in eternity, opportunity to exalt our excellent God evermore. And there in that verse, I'm looking up at verse 17. It says there in the end of chapter 4, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I just kind of made a little abridgment, and I'll just say this on all of these now. In closing, the peace, what has God provided for us? Our position is permanent. We're his permanent possession. 
It's never going to change. It only gets better. Always. Everlastingly established. It's reserved for you. There's a place for you. He's building a place. You are accepted because he sees you in Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is sinless and holy and righteous, that's how he will see us. That's why that verse in Romans 4 is there. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. How can that happen? We said that. Because he doesn't see us. He sees us in Christ. And therefore he does not render or impute the sin against us. It's the way he does it. And that's wonderful. Uh, Committed care. And to exalt an excellent God evermore. When you and I... When we meet the Lord, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And then, uh, I just want to read this one stanza. It's a, if you want to look at it later on, it's a hymn in our new hymn book. It's 531. It's called Wonderful Peace. First time I ever heard it, it was sung at the church where I pastored by a Korean evangelist. <laughs> I thought he was wanting us to help him. No, he was a Korean evangelist to the United States. The people in South Korea were worried because the United States of America is getting so wicked. And you know what? I had a hard time arguing that with him. I didn't even try. But here's the words. I'm just going to read them to you. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than song. In celestial-like strains... It unceasingly falls over my soul like an infinite calm. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the heaven above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. May we always remember, thank God that he has given to his children his peace forevermore. Pastor, I'm going to turn it back over to you.